here in the heart of the jungle, we find one of the most interesting creatures of its kind. Amazon PPC Advertising. Buried deep amongst the undergrowth with its campaigns and targeting, lay hazards like keywords without conversions, unprofitable ad spend, and a mountain of ever-evolving complexity. But if you look beyond the obstacles of life here, there is hope and opportunity. We will journey to every corner of Amazon Ads to explore and share the greatest treasures the jungle has to offer. This is the Amazon PPC Den Podcast. What's, what's going, going on, on Badger, Badger Nation? Nation? <laughs> uh, what's going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to the PPC Den Podcast, your home for all things Amazon advertising tips, tricks, and strategies. Uh, today, I am uh, excited and honored to have Joe Shillerud all the way up there in Duluth, Minnesota from Ad Advance. Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, is is winter over up there? It's already April. <laughs> uh, no. Well, technically, yes, it's springtime, but yeah, we're still getting snow pretty constantly. So if you want some snow, you can just hop on I-35 from Austin and drive straight north to where the freeway ends. That's where we are. Yes. <laughs> I know it's very simple directions. I live close to 35 over here. So it's very simple directions to go. Uh, and in, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, in the middle of America, like uh, from Austin, I think it goes all the way down to, I think it touches Mexico, I think. And mm -hmm. it goes all the way up all the way up to Minnesota. Does it keep going? Does it touch Canada? No, it doesn't. Yeah, it gets small enough and pretty north of us, there's just a lot of woods. So yes. you can take another highway to Thunder Bay, but yep, yep, you get to stop That's really here. cool. Uh, Joe, I've had a, such a great time getting to know you over the last few months. Um, you also run an Amazon advertising podcast where I was a guest. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks awesome. so much for, for coming over here as well. Today, we've got an interesting topic that I think even if you don't do it as an, as a company or as an Amazon marketing professional, uh, someone that works with clients, uh, I think DSP, Amazon DSP is something that I think everyone should be aware of, understand sort of a little bit more about how it works, how you get access to it, who it is right for, um, what kinds of campaigns you, you should launch first on DSP so that you're at least able to answer questions for your clients, answer questions from your peers at work, uh, maybe your boss is asking about DSP, uh, or maybe Amazon has reached out to you to talk about DSP. Either way, Having a little info, getting prepared for it, I think is huge. And I'd love to start a little bit with your experience uh, approaching DSP. Um, so I'm going to make an assumption here that when you first started, you know, at Advance and you're working with clients, you did not start with DSP. Uh, I assume that DSP is something that you added on later. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally correct. So I'd love to hear your uh, yours and at Advance's experience, like offering this and like, when did you guys decide to incorporate it in your service offering? Yeah, yeah, great question. So like you were saying, 
we really started focusing on the sponsored ad side. We started early enough when sponsored products was actually the only offering around, so that's what we had. Then came along headline search ads, soon to be rebranded as sponsored brands. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we we eventually got into sponsored brands. Then sponsored display came around, and at that time, we started hearing more and more about DSP. Um, So it's not since the last couple of years that we really personally got into DSP. Like we can touch on a little bit later too, I think that's the exact right progression to go. Um, You really want to start on the sponsored side first and then really build into DSP as you go. You know, talking like inside baseball, was it something that you thought would be a good value add for the clients that you had or were clients asking for it, potentially acquiring like different types of clients as well? Because, uh, you know, different clients normally gravitate to DSP as well. Yeah, uh, I think the key thing that really got us into DSP is just all the different audience insights and the flexibility that you have. Um, we're a very tech-driven company um, and love to turn all the different knobs that Amazon can give us. And as we dug more and more into DSP, just in the flexibility that you have to build audiences, the flexibility mm-hmm. that you have for creatives, the flexibility mm-hmm. on where these ads are shown, and then all the more detailed reporting that DSP offered. Um, that's really what got us interested in it. Um, we also had some clients that were asking us about it too, which really drove that research along with us just hearing from it, talking to, to people like yourself in the industry. Um, and so that's kind of the progression that really drove us into it. It was one, our interest in it, but we started hearing more and more about it and figured that we should really be digging into it too. Yeah. You you know, it's always interesting from like an agency growth perspective, like being able to offer complimentary services to your existing clients helps add value, like all of those good things. I think that's a natural progression for any sort of agency looking to, you know, continue to work up the value chain. I think that's so I think that's that's cool. And that's a similar progression to the one that we took as well. You know, we've talked before about DSP on the PPC Den podcast in the past. Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the targeting options. We talked about what it was. We're going to include links to that in the show notes. And I wanted to ask questions today that I think remained unanswered from those previous episodes. So I think there's a lot of content on the internet, like what DSP is and like, you know, look at all these targeting options that we have and like how it's different. I wanted to ask you some questions today that I don't think get asked frequently, starting with how the heck do you even get access to this? (laughs) I think there's a lot of people that would like to offer this to their clients or potentially like would like to have an internal discussion at the e-commerce company that they're working at to say like, hey, is this right for us? And like even just getting the ball rolling to get on it, to even have the option to play with it, I think is something that not a lot of Amazon marketing professionals, people working with clients or, you know, commerce brands even understand what this process looks like. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, let's say I'm an e-commerce company and I wanted to start playing around with DSP. What do I do? What do I even do? Who do I talk to? (laughs) It's a great question and honestly is far too confusing for what it really should be. And so, yeah, I'll try to go through some of the, the learnings that we had trying to answer that exact question. 
Um, so if I'm an e-commerce company, um, probably the first and the most straightforward way is getting access directly through Amazon. So you can do this, um, but the one key stipulation is that you need to commit a large amount of money to do this. Mm -hmm. um, DSP requires a lot of setup and there's a lot of complexities on the DSP side um, to get new accounts set up. And so they have some barriers to entry that you don't typically see on the sponsored ad side. So um, to get access directly through Amazon, I'm not sure of the exact figure right now. Um, it tends to be between 30 to $50,000 that you have to commit upfront to spend on the DSP platform. And then in that case, Amazon will manage your DSP for you um, and get those running. So that's the first way you can go about it. Yeah. I've, and to your first point about it being incredibly confusing, it absolutely is. I remember when we first got on DSP, like we received information and like one person at the company reviewed it. And then I was like, what? And like nobody knew exactly what to do. Yep. So it is, it, is a pretty, it is a bit of a labyrinth. And yeah, I hear a lot from a lot of e-commerce companies. They're spending on their normal Amazon advertising and they're spending more. They're spending more. You know, they're going 20, 30, 40, 50, 75,000, 100,000 a month in their core Amazon advertising, sponsored products, sponsored brands, sponsored display. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the emails and <laughs> start to roll through. It's like, have you considered DSP? Uh, and like part of the reason why a lot of larger spenders on normal Amazon advertising get those messages uh, is because of the minimums that uh, they have when you go DSP directly through Amazon. And uh, I've also heard those are negotiable as well. That's why there's no like hard number that you can just go look at a website. Sure. Um, so they're sort of Amazon sort of looking and sort of asking like, you know, hey, what would be the minimum that they would probably say yes to? Um, so that is that is a negotiable amount. One more comment on that. I do feel like there's a sort of a strategic reason for that too, um, by the nature of DSP, where the type of advertising is a little less direct responsey uh, because you have all the different targeting options. And what I mean by that is like, it's a little less um, direct sales, like bought like, and we'll get into that with some of the reasons to jump over to it. We'll touch back on that. Like why the, I actually, let's hit it here. You know, do you, how do you feel about having the minimum ad spend requirements? You know, so if you're sort of talking to an e-commerce company that contacts you and said, Hey, Amazon just said, like, I need to spend at least this is that a good or bad idea? Like, do you think that's like a smart decision for e-commerce companies to like consider, hey, we can't go test with a, you know, $5,000 a month. It has to be maybe potentially 10 times that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so from my personal perspective, there's two ways to look at it. Um, the first is if you have that budget available, a DSP could be a great option for you because it unlocks a lot of higher funnel strategies too um, that bigger spenders and big brands may be looking to utilize. Um, so in that aspect, the, the floor um, to get into DSP can really be a good thing because it can kind of screen out people who DSP may not be a good fit for. Yeah. Um, however, I mean, I started out as a seller on Amazon myself, and I couldn't imagine just dropping $50,000 on an ad platform that I've never tested before. Mm -hmm. um, from the seller perspective, I take the approach on, all right, I'm going to do small tests. Yeah. And then with those tests, I'm going to verify my results and then build upon those that succeeded. 
And so committing that large of an amount of money up front would make me really nervous. Sure. Uh, and so that's the big hurdle. There's probably a lot of advertisers that could succeed on DSP, but they're not willing to put down that large amount to work directly with Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are other options available that you can utilize to get started earlier, but if you want to go directly with Amazon, um, yeah, you're going to need to put down that, that huge down payment. Sure. So, so let's talk about some of these other ways that people could get started with DSP. Um, so obviously the most, you know, probably the one that most people consider is like they're searching Amazon DSP demand side platform. They go to the page and maybe they're like filling out the form or maybe they've been contacted. Like that's the direct to Amazon path. There's also other paths as well. Um, talk to us a little bit about those other ways. Sure. Yep. So I will just put a little asterisk at the start that I am an agency owner managing DSP. So just take this with a grain of salt. Um, but I truly believe that going through an agency for DSP and doesn't have to be us. There are many other awesome people in the space is the way to get going. And yeah. the reason why I lean that way is that with agencies, we get to pool our spend together. And so we can get started at a lot lower threshold for DSP. Um, and then from an incentive standpoint too, like if Amazon's managing it, um, there are a lot of great account execs, but I have heard some pretty bad stories too about spend getting spent very quickly um, and maybe not as efficiently. Um, and so I know there's a lot of agencies who really focus a lot more on the strategy because our key incentives are we, we want long-term clients that we can work with. Long-term clients are awesome to work with. And so from an agency perspective, there are a ton of different people out there who offer DSP services and they can typically get you started at a lot lower initial fee to test the platform, see if it works. And then if it works, you can scale from there. Exactly. And that's something that I think a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a little tricky to wrap your head around, you know, as a e-commerce company, you go to Amazon and they say, Hey, we need this minimum, but from an agency, because they're able to pool all of their clients spend together, they, you can get started theoretically with, you know, a thousand bucks a month. Uh, on DSP through an agency because you're adding your 1000 to their already, you know, $500,000 in monthly ad spend. The question that I have for you is, would that even be a good idea? Like, would it even be, would it even make sense for an e-commerce company to spend that small amount on DSP? Because if you think about it, if Amazon says like, hey, you know, we're looking for companies that are spending 50K a month or 30K a month, does it make sense for that e-commerce company to say, eh, I'm going to go spend a thousand dollars? Do you think that's, you know, wise? Like, do you, do you have like a minimum when you're working with clients? Yeah. Yeah. So you'll get different perspectives on this too. And my personal perspective, I think comes from the seller days. Um, so personally, I love starting with say a small budget of like $5,000. And the key reason where that can be useful is just making sure that the strategies that you're implementing are very targeted. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to do $5,000 on a top of funnel. I'm going to target the super broad audience strategy. You want to start with a much more targeted audience and then 
as you start seeing results, now you can work your way up and continue to build on those audiences. So personally, I love the small test approach. Um, I would say like $5,000 a month is a great spot to start for DSP where you can get enough information to really see what strategies are working and build upon that. Um, so yeah, I fully support starting lower. Um, others would probably put the threshold a bit higher for DSP. Um, but we take the mindset that let's test it. In many cases, we see great results and then we build upon that and can grow that account over time. Sure. You know, one of the big segments of people that listen to the show are actually, you know, freelancers uh, or they work at, you know, an agency. And I'm curious for them, you know, if somebody's working at an agency and they want to suggest to their team lead or maybe they want to do it themselves or they're a freelancer and they want to begin to offer this to their clients as well. How do they get started? You know, assuming that let's use the example uh, of I'm a freelancer, you know, I have seven clients. It, let's say one of their clients, they get to say yes to, to DSP. Okay, this is great. And that client only wants to spend, you know, 10 grand in the first month on DSP. Sure. They don't meet the threshold. They don't have that pooled spend. How do freelancers get started on DSP or small agencies? Yeah, great question. And, and I'll walk you through our journey because this was another painful experience as we were trying to figure out how this all went. Um, so the, the key threshold that you have is trying to get over that minimum spend amount so you can get your own entity access. And it's tough to do that unless you have a very large client that's ready to commit a large amount up front. Um, so you have to somehow build this book of business on the DSP side without being able to manage DSP accounts. <laughs> and, and so um, the approach that we took is first, we actually worked with a partner agency who was able to manage DSP. Um, we managed the sponsored side. We found somebody who we trusted and who was gonna do a great job for our clients. We reached out to them and they actually managed DSP for our clients. Um, mm -hmm. As we kept building up our clients, and, and by the way, we were very transparent that our key goal was to get our own entity access, so this would be a shorter term thing. Um, so it, that's the other stipulation. I would say just be very transparent with the agency that you're working with. There's a lot of trust that has to go both ways there. Um, and then after we were working with that agency for a while, we grew to the point where we wouldn't qualify for our own DSP entity access. Um, but we had enough spend where we could get our own entity initiated from another larger provider. So like we went through Perpetua. And so Perpetua, there's a select group of DSP providers that can grant you essentially entity access um, for your agencies and you don't have to meet that full threshold. Um, and so Perpetua would get a certain percent of our DSP spend. Um, so there was a fee that they made from that. Um, but then from that, we had full control over our advertisers and had full control and access to our DSP orders equivalent to campaigns in the sponsored world. Um, and then as we grew up that, now we met the threshold to finally get our own entity access through Amazon directly. Mm -hmm. um, and then at that point, they unlocked that. We no longer worked with their previous agency, which was Perpetua. Um, and now we have our own entity access, which we're able to tie into the APIs and all that good stuff as you go. So it was definitely a progression. Yes. And, and that is the way that every freelancer and agency who wants to start DSP 
needs to follow. Uh, you need to find one of these existing Amazon DSP verified agencies that lets other agencies below them create individual accounts in it. And it's actually really interesting to those agencies that do provide that. Um, there's like different tiers because like they make money on top of it too. Uh, they make money even if they're not managing it. So a lot of these agencies will have a self-service option where me, the freelancer or me, the agency still goes in there, stills create campaigns myself, still manages those campaigns. And the agency that I'm doing it with makes money anyway. <laughs> like they, they get their cut uh, because it's going through their DSP. And it's pretty expensive, uh, like even a self-service, like, you know, the, like the lowest tier, that agency is probably still going to make 5% of ad spend on top of it, mm. even for simply giving you the keys to be allowed to run DSP. Uh, and then those agencies also could manage it for you, the freelancer, or you, the agency as well, uh, where you're looking maybe closer to 10 to 15% ad exactly. spend. So DSP's expensive. So, you know, for that sort of starting budget, that like $5,000 starting budget, it's possible that the, just the freelancer going to the agency, having a client that says, Hey, I want to spend $5,000 on DSP will be paying that agency they're working with 500 bucks on top of, on top of, uh, you, the freelancer as well. So DSP is pretty expensive. And I just feel like people should know. <laughs> people should know a little bit about generally how that process works. So just to recap, if you're an e-commerce company, you can go directly to Amazon uh, and get access. You'll have a high minimum to get started, or you can work with an agency, uh, which is typically preferred because much smaller minimums, you can test it smaller. And if you're a freelancer or a smaller agency, you need to find one of these larger DSP provider agencies where then you can t get tapped in. Uh, and that is a little bit of a, an expensive path. I mean, DSP in general is expensive, but I think we've said everything about getting started with DSP and hopefully anyone out there who wants to add it to their e-commerce company or they want to, um, you know, add it as an offering for their freelancing or agency work. I think we've done it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the it. path we took. Yeah, uh, let's jump into the sort of the second half of this episode where it's worth asking the question too, like, okay, we've just explained how to get on it. <laughs> what about like, why? Like, why does DSP exist? Uh, like, what is the point? <laughs> like, uh, if, you know, it pops up in a meeting, I, I bet you that it pops up more in meetings from like freelancers with their clients or agencies with their clients or internal conversations at individual companies, I bet it pops up more frequently. Like what is, what is the point of that again? <laughs> more sure. than anything when they're getting started. So like, what is the point? Like who is it right for? And like, why does it exist? You know, when we have some of these targeting esque options in sponsored display, which anyone can access for any budget, um, you know, where does, like, what is the chasm, chasm that yeah. DSP helps us cross? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll start that on when should you start considering DSP? And then we'll get into why it exists, because it's two great questions. Um, so I think the first key thing is when to start considering it is when you feel like you have a really solid grasp on your sponsored ads. 
So sponsored ads as a whole are the foundation of your advertising. And I would never jump directly into DSP without first making sure that my sponsored brands, my sponsored products, and even sponsored display is fully tested, lined out. I'm feeling really solid with the foundation that I've built. And one of the key reasons is that DSP is kind of that next stage where you get to branch out more and more to your audiences um, to try to find people who would not know about your brand if it was not for DSP. And so DSP as a whole can be looked as a great introduction of people to your brand But then you need those next stages in place. You need that foundation in place that once they get introduced to your brand, now they're continually reintroduced and you're building up that relationship and that product knowledge and funneling down to the actual sale. Um, And that's where I've heard of people that have gotten burned with DSP too, say they committed $50,000. You can start and you can find a lot of people and introduce them to your brand with DSP. But if you don't have that foundation in place to finally convert to a sale, the actual return that you get from advertising can look really poor. And sometimes it is really poor. And so I'd say the the first piece is make sure you have a very solid sponsored ad strategy, uh, bottom of funnel strategy, so that when people who have never heard of your brand are introduced, um, now you have those other ads and different pieces in place like storefronts and quality branding and awesome products like um, that tie together that you can do cross sales or different things like that. If you have that foundation built, now DSP is one of those next pieces to start looking at. And in terms of your question, and what is this trying to answer, really all the key control comes from being able to build these more complex audiences than we can do with sponsored ads. And so if we look at sponsored ads as a whole, a lot is based around searches or people on different product pages. And so they're already looking for that purchase. They're in the purchasing mindset. They're in the purchasing mode. So they're in what we call bottom of funnel strategies where, you know, they're getting ready to purchase. And so that's what like sponsor products especially are there to do. Whereas DSP you can create audiences around people's browsing behavior. So for instance, I'm training for a marathon up here right now. Um, I'm looking into a lot of running stuff. And so now I can get into an audience for people who may be interested in different running gear. And so there could be a lot of products out there. There are a lot of products out there that I don't even know I should be considering. But when they pop up, like all of a sudden it's like, huh, that's interesting. I check it out a little bit more. I don't purchase right then, but now I'm familiar with the brand. I ask my brother-in-law, my sister about it because they're big runners. They tell me some more. And now eventually I'm proceeding to the purchase. And so DSP is just kind of that way. If you look at it at a high level, there's bottom of funnel strategies, but high level, it's a great way to expand your audience and find those people who could be interested in your products or your brand, but just have simply never heard of you before. Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, some of the conversation over the last few months in like the Amazon ads community is that, hey, we're getting DSP like targeting in sponsored display now. How do you compare and contrast some of those, you know, sponsored display? Like, you know, we are getting, you know, retargeting somewhat. Uh, We are getting some audience features like, um, I don't know if it's exact, but I have to imagine like running, like runners is probably a sponsored display. I don't know. Yep. Yep. The audiences definitely, they, they tie directly between DSP and sponsored display. Yeah. So I guess like the question that 
um, people still might have is like, okay, if shouldn't I, what could I just wait in my normal Amazon, you know, advertising platform for sponsored display, like to continue to enrich itself with some of these more, uh, feature, like some of these more DSP like features. Sure. I think that, you know, that's an interesting question that I'm sure people have that debate where they're like, Hey, you know, my sponsored display, like, you know, I don't, maybe I don't love the results there already. Like, does it make sense, you know, to sort of double down on this sort of audience-based targeting? Uh, I think that's a, that's an interesting question that I, that I, I've heard people ask before. For sure. Yep. Awesome question. And, um, sponsored display, the sponsored display team has done a great job of making a self-service product out of some of the common strategies that you can use with DSP. So views retargeting is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I can retarget people who went to my product detail page and now I can show them ads both on and off of Amazon. Repurchases is great. So if I sell some consumable products, I sell supplements, like let's retarget people to drive a repurchase as we go. And so sponsored display, the sponsored display team has made it really easy to implement some of these strategies in a self-service way. Um, Mm -hmm. And if these are working for you, that's awesome. And if this is as far up the funnel you want to go, that's great. Just use sponsored display. Um, The key differences between sponsored display and DSP, um, it's kind of like going to the advanced section of advertising. Um, And so there's just a lot more controls that you can do with DSP. So for instance, just to kind of compare the two, so for views retargeting with sponsored display, I can just pick different time periods, say they looked within the last 30 days, I'm gonna target them with ads. Um, Whereas in DSP, I can create different audiences. So say they looked at my product between zero to three days ago. I'm going to create one audience there and then three to seven days ago, there's another audience there. And for the zero to three day audience, they're going to be a little bit warmer and more likely to purchase. And so I can increase the frequency that I show ads over that time period. And then I can cascade the frequency down. So three to seven, not quite as likely. I'm not going to show the ads as frequently. And then when I get to the 10 to 30 day range or the 30 to 60 day range, maybe I'm not showing the ads frequently at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives us the control to be able to do that, but to have to do that in a self-service way, it'd be so confusing. Um, and so that's really the difference comparing two strategies that you can implement and overlap with each other. Like you could get great results with sponsored display, um, with DSP, you can just add that next layer of control, um, to help fine tune those results even more. But with that adds a ton of extra complexity. And in many cases, some extra fees, like we were discussing too, mm-hmm. Um, And so that's the other piece to weigh as you go. Um, How much do you truly want to spend on DSP and do those extra fees that are incorporated in? Do they outweigh the performance benefits that you could potentially get from this higher level of control? Yeah, exactly. You know, better segmentation on retargeting audiences was one of my wishlist items for sponsored display. Like, man, I'd really wish we were able to do just that because, you know, it doesn't make sense to target someone who's on day 30 after looking at your product with the same intensity, the same, uh, you know, bid as somebody who's looked at it in the last 24 hours, right? Like these are two different behavioral audiences that you'd want to like treat very differently. So, yeah. So I, I would say that's it. Like DSP increases the complexity at which you can do things, which I think is really neat. So that sort of begs the question, you know, 
uh, I have my own answer, but I'm curious on what you think, like who, like assuming that people already have dialed in their sponsor product, sponsor brand, sponsor display on their sort of core Amazon advertising. When that sort of asks, begs the question of like, who is it right for? Um, because I, have to assume that there's people that have that dialed in, have that, that core three pack dialed in, but even still DSP isn't right for them. And I would say still, it might be like a business goal decision. Like they're just maybe not interested in sort of that top of funnel, uh, or maybe the top of funnel is incredibly important for them. And that, you know, that increased complexity is incredibly important for them. Um, so what kind of like goals do people does are most successful. So of the most successful clients that you know on DSP, um, and I'm curious if our answers align, but like the most successful companies on DSP, what do you think they all have in common yeah. in terms of goals and, and, and whatnot? I would say I'll start with the product and the brand. And so I can give you some examples of products that are definitely not built for Amazon. So if your products are typically like lower priced or if they're more impulse purchases, um, those are not going to be great for um, DSP um, just because there's not really a consideration phase when you're looking at these products. Whereas like we have a product that we're currently advertising for that sells for about $800. Um, it's in the sporting goods category. And so there's a lot of consideration that goes into it. And it's also a product that a lot of people don't even know that they want or they need. But hey, it can improve my golf swing as I go. And so I can target these audiences, introduce them, and then I have the margins to support that. Mm -hmm. um, or some other products that do really well are products that really have solid branding, um, so there's the cross purchase potential. So in a mm -hmm. lot of these cases, what I'm leading to is there's a high lifetime value of the customer for your product. And so there's a good cross purchase potential or there's a good repeat purchase potential. So if it's consumable products, I may not make money on that first sale, but those next four sales that come in now, when I add all those pieces together, now my advertising really makes sense. So what I would first say is that you have to have the margins to be able to support it. You have to have the branding that be to be able to support it. And then if there's other pieces that you have to drive up that lifetime value, um, then that can definitely support it as you go. And then from the products, now you can really dig into the different strategies and KPIs that you're going to utilize for a DSP. Bingo. Yeah. I have the exact same answer, you know, like the archetypical client on DSP are like the Nikes of the world or the Under Armors of the world where uh, their branding is so important for them. Um, like getting in front of people, like having strong lifetime values, it's like so vital, right? So targeting, you know, runners at the top of the funnel and like working their way down as they look at, you know, if I'm Nike, I'm targeting, you know, maybe who's looking at Under Armour stuff for sure. uh, and they have the you know, margins in order to do that. Um, so, th you know, those are the companies that are like surely the biggest spenders on Amazon. And it doesn't necessarily make sense, just like you mentioned, with a lower priced, you know, imagine if you're selling a product that's $20, but that's it. Like you don't have one of these like Nike level lifetime values where somebody's going to buy 10 shoes from you for their entire lifetime and like 50 pairs of shorts over their entire lifetime. Uh, if you're just selling one product one time for $20, you know, you're going to be spending some money at the very top of the funnel on lifestyle. You're going to be spending some money on like, you know, 
cross-level retargeting. You're going to be spending some more money once they actually type in the name of the product. And when you add up all those things, it, it could, it, you know, you really need to weigh the pros and cons. Like, is that going to give you the market lift that you're looking for um, when your lifetime value is only $20? Sure. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it, I think it's the it's the right way to look at it, exactly like you said. So with all that being said, like let's say somebody does hit these boxes, you know, they're really working on building up a strong brand. And you know, I don't think you need to be the size of a Nike in order to find success on DSP. I think there's so many, you know, small but mighty companies. Uh, I talked to so many like smart e-commerce entrepreneurs that are really trying to gain foothold in the industry and they're trying to maybe go up against companies like you know a yeti or some well-established company and they're sort of saying like hey dsp is our way to like really interject and like show how we're different from these other companies and really build up the branding that we need and like we do have strong ltvs and like we they, we have all this momentum and we're trying to build we're a bigger company what would you say are the first campaigns they should launch on dsp yep yeah, great question. And the key thing that we always look at for each of the products, so say if it's that $20 single product, you know, if they're spending a hundred grand on sponsored ads, DSP may still be right for them. Mm -hmm. But like what you were saying, let's start at the bottom of the funnel because some of those higher up funnel strategies are just not going to make sense. Um, mm -hmm. And so really where we start is we use some of these strategies that you can implement with sponsored display. So it's some of these tried and true strategies. So like um, retargeting is a big one. So if people <laughs> visited our product detail page, we know that they're familiar with our product. We know they're in market for our product. And so we can retarget them with ads both off and on of Amazon. So if they're uh, checking weather.com or their favorite news sites, you see the banner ads that popped up for something that you just viewed on Amazon. That's a retargeting ad. And these can be highly effective. Um, like a cool piece that we can do with DSP is we can also, so we can say, all right, if they viewed your ad in say the last zero to three days, and they also haven't purchased your product in the last year, and they also haven't purchased any of your competitors' products too, because you don't want to retarget somebody mm -hmm. that jumped from your page to your competitors' purchase because now they're not in market anymore. So we start with retargeting. Um, if you have a consumable product, repurchasing is great. Um, and what we'll do is we'll look at the time period that you typically go through, say that supplement bottle, um, or the time when you need to order new socks again, cause your old, you know, socks probably aren't the best example, but you, you get the picture. So we'll look at what's the typical frequency. When do people tend to come to repurchase? And then right around that time period, now we can start retargeting them with ads or with repurchase ads to say, Hey, remember us, you purchased from us before. It's probably about time to order another one. And if you can develop that, that history, now you can develop very loyal customers that keep coming back to you. Yeah, for sure. Starting with the bottom of funnel, working your way up. I also think it's so interesting too, um, because, you know, in theory, it should work as if, uh, as you start at the bottom of the funnel and, you know, you're hitting retargeting, you're hitting cross-purchasing, you're doing things like that. By the time you move past 
retargeting and you start getting into sort of audience-based retargeting or retargeting people that looked at competitors and like things like that and like in market audiences um theoretically there should also be a lift throughout your entire funnel as well um so as you're targeting people who are simply just runners uh, maybe they haven't looked at your product yet or don't know you exist getting that exposure there theoretically should also lead to a lift you know, you have more people to retarget. You have better, perhaps, brand recognition down there as well. Um, so that's a really neat way to utilize, like, audiences. And it does take a lot of work to get there. Like, it takes a lot of work to ensure that you have solid bottom of funnel before you start branching out to cold audiences uh, way up top. But um, I think we've answered questions today that I've never heard asked and talked about things that I don't think were ever discussed when it comes to DSP. I think this was a really good one. Uh, yeah. any final, any final thoughts in, in terms of DSP and like parting words of wisdom, if someone is sort of, uh, you know, they're just having an internal meeting, they're like, Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I think we, I think we've done a good job, but I'm, I'm just curious if you have any final parting thoughts, uh, for DSP. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, up to this point, so we've covered a lot of strategies for people who are familiar with your brand. Um, but then as you keep working your way up, there's cross targeting strategies, or we can actually target our competitors. So uh, if you're in a meeting and somebody's really looking to grow market share, well, you can actually target people who visited your competitors page, but didn't purchase and bring them back yeah. to yours. And then as you keep going up to the in-market and lifestyle, um, they get broader and broader as you go. Um, but I think the key thing to keep in mind is just there's so many different potentials that you can utilize DSP for. If you meet those criteria, now it's really taking those key goals. Is it sales expansion? Is it just trying to drive ranking? Is it trying to maintain our margin? Is it really trying to grow the brand long term? Um, all those pieces, now you can tie those into specific strategies within DSP. Um, just make sure you have that full funnel built out from the start before starting too high and then investing money and just not seeing that return for sure you know and, and this is where like good fundamentals with digital advertising come in uh you know are you naming campaigns properly do you have a goal for every campaign are your campaigns properly segmented like all of those things become even more uh vital as you work with something like dsp um so joe shellerud from ad advance way up there in cold duluth minnesota training for your marathon when's your marathon how much time do you have left <laughs> it's in june yeah, so been running through the snow yeah let's say it makes me tougher <laughs> yes that's right uh is the is the marathon in minnesota or are you traveling yeah, for it? yeah it's in minnesota it gets warm in the summer so yeah the snow will be gone by then Right on. Well, good luck to you. And thank you so much for coming on the PPC Den podcast. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Michael.